Let's all stand together at this time as we reverence the reading of God's Word, a message I call Treasure in Clay Pots. We're beginning a new series this morning, and this uh, centered in this passage, Treasure in Clay Pots. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shone in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But... We have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. May God bless the reading of his word today as my prayer. You may be seated. Our text takes us on a profound journey today into the purpose of God for our lives as believers in Christ. And it begins with the declaration... It is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. Thus taking us back to the very instant of the beginning of the creation. In the beginning. The beginning of the creation where God spoke and said, let there be light. And there was light. We got that commentary. And there was light. It is impossible for us to comprehend the depth of that pre-creation darkness and nothingness. It is impossible for us to explain what happened or to make any kind of logical sense out of it. The laws of science teach us that matter and energy remain constant. The laws of physics, the laws of aerodynamics, all of them. Tell us that matter cannot be created nor destroyed. And that includes energy. Neither created nor destroyed. This is a closed system. And yet God said, let there be light. And there was light. Where before there was darkness. Where before there was nothingness. God created everything. Explain that. You can't. And thank God we don't have to. (laughs) Uh, He told us all we needed to know about it, that God said light be and light was, that God spoke the creation as we know it into existence and out of absolute nothing and absolute darkness, God said, let light be, light be. We can accept the validity of this miracle as great as it is. Perhaps more easily than we can the second miracle that Paul speaks of in this passage. That the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. The God who said light be and light became. Has also shined into the dark sinful abyss of human hearts. The heart that is spoken of in this passage and many others in the New Testament is our spiritual heart. It is not speaking of our blood pumping muscle in our chest. We know that man is a triune being. In a sense, we are modeled in the image or made in the image of our triune God, who is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, intellect, physical, and spiritual. And so we are in the same capacity. We are intellectual. We are physical. We are spiritual. 
We are not just an, an amalgamation of blood and sinew and muscles and all of those organs, internal and external, with a mind on top of it. No, there's more to us than that because we have a spirit and there is a spiritual side of us. And because we have a spirit, we also have a spiritual heart. And it is this spiritual heart that the Bible speaks of again and again in Scripture. It is always in reference to the place where decisions are made. The heart. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That is, out of your heart then you make the decisions. That is the place where our will resides. That is our spiritual heart. Guard your, guard your heart then with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. The Bible tells us something else about our heart because you see, although we were created in perfection, sin happened. Sin happened. And because of sin, then the fall happened. And because of the fall, our heart has taken on a new characteristic. Jeremiah described it best in Jeremiah 17 and 9 when he said, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the very idea that God could shine his glory into the dark abyss of this deceitful, blinded human heart. To place the glory of Jesus Christ in our hearts. So that there we have the knowledge of Jesus Christ in us, in our hearts, permeating the blackness and the darkness of our heart. You see, it was one thing for God to shine his light into the nothingness, into the darkness where nothing was. But our hearts are far from full of nothing. Our hearts are full of sin. Our hearts are full of rebellion. Our hearts are full of deceit and lies. It manifests itself early on in life. None of us teach our kids to lie, but somehow they all learn. Right? That'd be a great place to say amen. Yes, amen. Uh, we don't teach them to be rebellious, but they learn. We don't teach them to be selfish, but they are. And so the darkness that is in the abyss of the human heart, it manifests itself rather clearly early on in life. It always has. We may think that uh, kids are just uh, repositories of all kinds of new and, 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 and desperately uh, different issues than they ever had before. I hate to bust your bubble tonight, but listen, or this morning, kids have always been kids. that They've always struggled with the same thing. And their biggest problem is right here, we would say, in their hearts. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Yet God shines in our hearts to give the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you're unsaved in this building this morning or watching from wherever you might be watching from, your heart is full of that darkness and all the sin and deception that goes with it. But I've got good news for you today. The gospel of Jesus Christ is still the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. 
So the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures and goes forth in the power of the Spirit of God with the promise so that whosoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That is how he shines into our heart. And if you'll receive him, he'll save you, and that light will illumine your darkened heart. That is the promise that God gives you even today. The greatest life issue of all. It's whether or not you'll receive Jesus Christ as your Savior by believing the truth of the gospel. The question then that we'll dive into this morning and for a few weeks revolves around this truth. The light of the gospel shining in human hearts. The treasure of the gospel placed in the earthen vessel of your life and mine. The clay pot of your life and mine, so that we share that gospel light with others. God's purpose for us as believers. God who shined in the darkness, has shined in our hearts to give then through us the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, in this sin-darkened world. I learned this week of a famous American violinist. I, I listen to concert and music from time to time, mainly when I want to go to sleep. <laughs> hey, it works like a charm. It's better than preaching to put you to sleep, let me tell you. I've tried that too. Uh, I learned of a famous American violinist, he, he might be old news to you, named Joshua Bell. I'd never heard of him before. I learned about him this week. Uh, he became the part of a subject of a documentary when he played to a packed concert hall one night where people were paying in excess of $100 a ticket, sold out the Boston Symphony Hall I don't know how many people were there, but a whole bunch of them who sat in rapt attention as this man, Joshua Bell, played his Stradivarius violin, over 300 years old, worth millions of dollars. Joshua Bell. The next day, he appeared in a ball cap with his violin. I don't know if he used the same one or not. I wouldn't go into a subway station like he did in Washington, D.C. with a multi-million dollar violin. So he might have had a standby. I don't know. But it was the same guy. We're in a ball cap then. He stood in a subway station and played some of the same music that he had played the night before to a packed crowd. Just to see what the reaction of people would be. Now, a clip, it was turned into a movie, but a clip is still available on YouTube if you want to look at it. And you'll see people walking by, some dropped in a, a bit of money. Uh, one commentary said it, but he raised a total of $32 playing in the subway station. $32. Most people just walked right by and never paid him any mind. There was one of the world's greatest concert violinists playing in a subway station. And most people just walked by. Not before, rapt attention, sold out crowd. Now, 
just walked by. They concluded that the person presenting the music and the venue in which it is presented made all the difference. Knowing who this guy was and being in this big, huge production made the music work. Without all of that, then the music was just, for the most part, ignored. There are other uh, situations that have happened. Authors, for example, famous authors who decided for some reason to write under a pseudonym just to see if it was just their personality that was driving the book sales or if they still had it, if they were still able to write, if it was the content. Newscaster, if it was the content uh, uh, rather than just the personality. And almost always it comes down to the same thing. It's that personality the person doing it, and the place where it's being presented that makes it all happen. But then we have 2 Corinthians 4, where God tells us that he put the treasure, the incredible treasure of the gospel truth, the incredible treasure of the glory of God as it has been perfectly and eternally revealed in Jesus Christ. God put that treasure in clay pots so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, that earthen vessel, that clay pot is not particularly valuable. It is not usually even ornate. It was an everyday kind of useful. It was a clay pot. But the God who said light be also shined in us to give us the clay pots that we are. The incredible truth of the gospel. I think one of the great downfalls of modern Christianity is that we have embraced the thinking that somehow packaging and personality and methodology and marketing and the venue is what makes the gospel work. But I'm here to declare to you over the next few weeks that the reality of the gospel is that it works just as good on the street as it does here. It works just as good in your home as it works here. God put this treasure in a clay pot, knowing that we were ordinary, knowing that we are not extraordinary, but he put this treasure in a clay pot in your life and mine so that we can re uh, reveal that treasure then in this sin-darkened world. The biblical principle of our text demands this application, but also the practice of God through Jesus Christ demands this application. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us, for he, and this was a prophecy of Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. We think of the incarnation of Christ, the king of kings, born to a peasant family from a despised city, Nazareth, in a stable in Bethlehem. He could have been born in the greatest of all palaces, in a special palace just made for him to be born in. Instead, he was born in a stable in Bethlehem. He spent his life working in a common factory-type position, a home business, as a carpenter, builder, 
He traveled around with a band of disciples who seemed to live out in the open quite a bit. And he even made it clear, I don't have a place. You might even call Jesus homeless. And yet, Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwelled all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see, the example of God, even in Jesus Christ, was he put the glory of all glory, the glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, compacted it to the span of a virgin's womb, born into this world in a stable, living all his life, of uncommon humanity, rubbing soldiers, shoulders with everybody and everything you could imagine. He went out into the everyday life portion of the world. That's how he lived. That's who he was. He does this for us so that the excellence, the power may be of God and not of us. This entire section of scripture is introduced by this passage a few verses before in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves To think of anything as being from ourselves. But our sufficiency is from God. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter but of the spirit. For the letter kills. But the spirit gives life. Our sufficiency in this task is not of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. Our first messages then in this series will deal with the experience of the treasure life and and the expression then of the treasure life. What we receive that makes us sufficient to minister the new covenant or share the gospel. And then how we go about doing it in our everyday kind of life. In our common kind of humanity. In our clay pot kind of world. Where we get up every day and get the kids ready and go to school and argue and fuss on the way and take care of meals and clean up messes and change diapers in our everyday kind of clay pot world. God made it to where we could show his glory through Jesus Christ. We need to look at this. And I got good news for you. We're going to take a careful look at this over the next few weeks. A couple of quick points. Three, actually. Notice the mercy. Verse 1, therefore, since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, as we have received mercy. If God has taken the light of the gospel and put it inside of a clay pot, and he has, we might well wonder from time to time, does God know just what kind of a clay pot he got? Uh, God, I'm pretty cracked up here. How could you possibly use me and my mess? And so it's no wonder that Paul started out with the mercy of God. Amen. Aren't you proud? Aren't you glad that God is a merciful God? God had mercy then on us, both before we were saved, you see, and since we've been saved, many things have happened in our life that are anything but conducive to the gospel. So if we're going to turn on the light and shine it in our everyday world, we need, and thank God we receive, his mercy to make that happen. Remember, Paul was a murderer and a persecutor 
persecutor of Christians, but he received mercy. Remember, Simon Peter uh, denied the Lord, denied that he even knew him, cursed in, in doing so. Every moment of the ministry of these great apostles were bathed in the mercy of God. Paul would look at all of his education and ability and say in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, I count them all but loss. For what? Glad you asked. The excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. That's Philippians 3.8. He would also go on to say, I count them but dung. Not just in the lost column, but in the disgusting column. I count them all but dung. Refuse. That I might win Christ. He would go on in the text and talk about renouncing the hidden things of shame. The things that we're ashamed of and we all have them. The very fact that they cause us shame means that we renounce them as a sinful residue that is in all of our hearts. But if we're going to shine the light in our everyday world, at school, on the job, at home, in the marketplace, uh, then we're going to be shining it to people who know all about us. We need mercy. The manifestation, then, what do we show? But by manifestation, verse 2, of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. You see, the truth of the gospel goes out through us clay pots that we are to those who know us and around us constantly. They see the remarkably ordinary lives that we live. God did not send us out to live in monasteries so that we could seek perfection that nobody would ever see. He sends us out to a real world with a real life to live, with real failures and real successes, and we put then the gospel on display, flawed as we are. Ordinary as we are, are. And God did that for a reason. So that the lost, the perishing, whose minds are blinded to the gospel, would be confronted by you and me. They get to know us. We might think to ourselves, man, if they'd come to church, they could really see the gospel. But you know what? They don't come to church. And even with all the churches who say, well, we're going to be the kind of church that lost people want to come to. Lost people still don't want to come to church. <laughs> they don't go to those churches either. Not very much. And if they do, it's generally because they've made friends with somebody who invited them and asked them to come. Same kind of thing that we do all the time. But what do we do? We get to know people. We get to know them in their natural habitat. They get to open to us. They, get, they maybe like us. Maybe we can show them some kindness. They see us going through some difficulty. They recognize very quickly that there is something different about us. We may not ever sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. But let me tell you something. That light shines in us whether we want to let it out or not. Put on your Klingon cloaking device. They're still going to see it. We don't have a device that's going to cover up the fact that Jesus Christ lives in us. It shows up. It comes out. And that's the whole point. We're like a stealth bomber that breaks through all their defenses. And we make friends with them. They get to know us. but They get to know something's different about us. And all of a sudden we get to deliver something. But it's not a bomb. It's the light of the gospel. That shines in our hearts and shines to others. 
It's a funny thing that God uses you and me to turn on the light in the lives of those who are blinded to the gospel and blinded to God, blinded to the Bible. You do it in ways that may even be imperceptible to you. It's a strange thing. We may be showing the gospel light of Jesus Christ without even knowing we're doing it. In my kind of way of thinking, I really think that's the best way that it happens. Because if we ever get to know that we did it, then we get the big head about it and pride messes the whole thing up. So God works in ways that are maybe imperceptible to us. We don't even see it. We'll talk more about that next week to have a profound impact on the others. Which brings us to the third thing then that Paul says, the muting, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus Christ. We do not preach ourselves. You see, it's not about self-exaltation. It's not about our personality. If the gospel is going to work on the street, if it, it, it's not about... Uh, just being a famous preacher or a famous Christian who has everything down and, and, and can do it so perfectly and so well. And, and we put them in an environment like, like Joshua Bell, where he's a master uh, fiddle player, a master violinist. Man, if, if, if I could do that, if, if I could play the gospel like that, man, it'd be great. Oh, if I could preach the gospel, if I could get it, man, we'd get people that, yeah, you see, American Christianity is eat up with this. We have to have the right personality. We have to make the right kind of presentation. We have the right kind of lighting, the right kind of music. Man, if we put all of this on it, man, then, then... Uh, but the gospel God put in a clay pot is designed to work in our everyday lives. Doesn't mean it doesn't work here too. It does. But you know the overwhelming majority of the people that I've seen saved in the last 45 minute years of my ministry have not been saved in a church house setting. They might have been saved after church. That happens a lot. Might be saved before church. That happens some too. But overwhelmingly. People have been saved outside. Not inside. Why? Because the gospel. Is an everyday kind of gospel. The treasure. Put in a clay pot. I had the opportunity to go to St. Petersburg, Russia about 20 years ago, a little more. Worked with missionary Kevin Plaster, who had gathered together a group of pastors from Russia. We were there for almost 21 days. I don't remember exactly now, but it was a long time. And uh, we were teaching Russian pastors. We would preach on video. They recorded it. They didn't have translators back then. Uh, that, a Google translator, we didn't have that. And uh, so they brought us in. We, they videoed us with the translator, put it on tape. So then other pastors and other people then could listen to what we were teaching. And we spent uh, over two weeks in direct teaching. I taught through Ephesians. Others taught through other books. We had Saturdays off. And on Saturdays, we just acted like tourists in St. Petersburg, Russia. And I was able to go to the Imperial porcelain factory very famous place it's been in business since 1770 1744 and uh, the imperial porcelain factory 
And they had all kinds of tea sets there. And uh, this is just the pot. We have all the other plates and saucers that go along with it. I picked this one out. It kind of caught my eye. It was way too expensive. I didn't have enough money. Uh, Kevin spoke Russian. He said, oh, the price is never the price. And he began to ruthlessly bargain with him. And the time that he'd done, I was able to buy this Russian tea set and, and was able amazingly to get it home, although I carried it in my lap for a large portion of that journey. and got it home intact, our Russian tea set, uh, 2002 or 2003, I don't remember. I still like it. It's still pretty. How much is it worth? Probably more than it was 20 years ago, I would say. this: It's valuable. It's beautiful, hand-decorated, ornate, made in a famous factory, stamped on the bottom. A teapot. A teapot. I brought another one with me. I, I rescued this one from my grandmother's house. It was precious to me for no other reason than because it was my grandmother's. Yes, it had glasses that go along with it. Yes, I got those too. Uh, grandmother had died and, and my aunt and uncle were cleaning out her place. This was destined for the dumpster. But I saw it and I said, nope, got to have that. I had drank no telling how many glasses of tea poured out of this. And occasionally when we had breakfast, that home-squeezed orange juice. And yes, I got her squeezer thingy too. I had to have it. It, it has its own kind of beauty, I guess. You can see the distinct uh, patina, I believe they call it, from all of those thousands of pictures of tea that is made and along the bottom if you could see it you'd see all the scratches because there's no telling how many times that that spoon has stirred up the sugar on the bottom of course it was sweet tea of course Nancy and I still use this pretty regularly I've got my eye on a Tupperware one that my mama used <laughs> And if I could beat my brother and sister to it, one of these days, I'm going to have it. It's more stained up than this is. Of course, it's plastic, but I'm going to have it. How much is it worth? Doesn't matter. It's precious. We use it every day. I asked Nancy if we'd ever put tea in this one, and she said no, and we never will. <laughs> Doesn't have anything in it but dust. I mean, <laughs> I'd have cleaned it out if I could have got my fingers in there. I just. Beautiful, ornate, sitting on a shelf, not used. Pretty to look at, but not used. This was my way of trying to remind us today of what the clay pot life kind of looks like. Not very valuable, but used a whole lot. Useful. Useful. It's a clay pot, for goodness sake. We have this treasure. 
and clay pots. So that in your daily common world, whatever that looks like, and your daily common life, even if your pot is cracked, and there's a lot of cracked pots in God's work, I'm going to tell you right now. Even if your pot's cracked, uh, even if your pot is slightly misshapen, even if your pot's a little bigger than it's supposed to be, mine, I've got one of those. Even if your pot it's still a pot that God put a treasure in, the treasure of the gospel, so that in your daily world, in your daily life, you can shine out the truth of the gospel. Whether you realize it or not, you're doing it. You're doing it. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. As we go forward, we're going to see how God brings us through, how God works then to open the vessel and reveal the treasure. That's uh, what the passage goes on to talk about. I'm not going to preach next week's sermon to you. This is all I had time for and more. But um, we will go there. So we can learn more about this process. You see, it's easy to think about the Great Commission and just think about and how God sent us out on this mission to make disciples, to share the gospel, to show the gospel. We say, man, I, I just don't see how I can make that work in my world. 2 Corinthians 4 tells you how God makes it work. And that's what the text says. The God who shined in the darkness shines in your hearts. To do what? To show then the, the glory of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ in your everyday life. That's where we're headed. But now I have to ask you, have you received the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you have a treasure in your clay pot? Oh, you need one. It's the only way your life has eternal significance is if the treasure is in you. Because, you see, without the treasure, everything is destined for destruction. Everything is destined for hell. Everything you do, everything you accomplish, it's just all going to be burned up with an eternity in hell to follow. But it doesn't have to be that way because God will put this treasure in you. Let's stand together, please.